is the Sounding Board Podcast with Hachi and Damo. Thanks to Drinkwise. If you're choosing to have a drink, choose to Drinkwise. Good to have your company on the sounding board for Drinkwise. If you're choosing to have a drink, choose to drink wise. Episode 15 of Series 6, Craig Hutchison, Damien Barrett, with you both in the South Bank studios today, which is becoming, again, unusual given Hutchie's travel arrangements are back on track. But Hutchie, hello. We want to start today with a different uh, way into our program today. The Warrnambool Racing Carnival has just completed down here in Victoria last weekend. And I just want our listeners to, to be in on a story that um, happened about, I would say, 11 or 12 years ago involving your good self and, and myself in my early days on the footy show when you were still doing the footy show. I go back to a, a Thursday. Hello, by the way. Hello, by the way. Thanks <laughs> probably, for having me. Probably should have done that before we went down the, the setup. Nice story. to be with you, Damien. How are you, Craig? I'm well. It's good to be home. And you're about to roll into a story that you've done it on for years. I don't even find funny. And you've ever said hello to me before you've set it up. So... <laughs> Nice to see you. <laughs> Sorry about that. You're it was still hanging there with that t-shirt. Look, it's good to see. Poor uh, hosting there from me, wasn't it? Which uh, <laughs> has never been a strong suit. Circa 2010, uh, you were still doing the footy show, and I was also doing it, but not not um, in a, in a regular way. And the boss of the footy show, Tim Cleary, a great friend of of ours, and and particularly yourself, yep, uh, was in charge of the show. Uh, on this particular Thursday, couldn't find you. And I'd only just started. I was a bit intimidated by Tim at the best of times, given he could uh, he could uh, demand certain things, in a good way, of course. And he couldn't find you on this particular day. And here I am in the new job, trying not to lie about your whereabouts, but also wanting him to know that you weren't going to come back all day. But I couldn't ha- couldn't do this. At 10 o'clock, where's Hachi? I, I don't know, Tim. Uh, 12 o'clock, where's Hachi? I know you know where he is. I knew you were at the Warrnambool races on this particular <laughs> Thursday. And then I got more and more worried as it got closer to 8.30. It might have been a 9.30 um, start time on the show those yep. days. But it got to 5 or 6 o'clock. You still hadn't checked in, apart from a conversation you'd had with me in the morning. Don't tell Tim I'm at Warrnambool. And then it was 5 o'clock. I think you still hadn't hit the road. And, that, and in those days, you weren't the high flyer. You weren't catching helicopters and planes everywhere you go. You were actually on the old-fashioned vehicle four wheels of a, of a car um, form of transport. And I think it was about six o'clock when you finally hit the road and somehow got back to the studio, got on the footy show almost uh, seamlessly, probably broke a couple of stories that night. And But I had to cover for you all day, Hutchie. You're not a natural cover for someone, I've noticed, too. You've got... You're, you're too, I don't like lying. You're too conservative. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, asked you to, I asked you to run shotgun for me one day in my life. Yeah. And you panicked. I did, but... Yeah, but there was water on the boat the whole day. The fact that the fact that it's taken me 12 <laughs> years to tell this story... Not even uh, a good story. Tim, Tim doesn't even know that I'd probably come for you. He does now. He does now. He does now. No, we were in the transition year. So yeah. when... <laughs> not to back over history, but I went and sat down with you at the Albert Park Hotel and said, come and work for us. We'll do one year of transition on the footy show. You'll do 29 Sunday footy shows and you'll do 10 Thursdays. I think you wrote me into to four or six Thursdays, I think, yep. in that deal. But year two, it'll be more, and then year three, I'm out. And, but, you're, but, in, and you're in. And it was a transition deal. We had a Buckley-Moldau-style <laughs> relationship <laughs> where I was the shop front for the scenario, and we as a business were providing the service. And I was up front, but I was easing out because business commitments were getting too but, but heavy. But a bit like that Buckley-Moldau thing, no one wanted – Buckley to come in, Hutchie. Everyone wanted Moldhouse to stay. You being the Moldhouse. No, they did. Everyone was ready to, for you to no, move No, they didn't. And I didn't want you to leave either. But it's part of the deal. Part of the, But your main sell to me, I've said this a few times, your main sell to me was to actually work with you. The one thing that has never happened, 
is of me working with you. We worked together a bit in the first no, couple of years. <laughs> Not the way I thought we were. <laughs> Our styles ended up incompatible, but you're too conservative. So anyway, I, no, this, this was one of the transition days. I had business commitments at the Warnable Races with clients. I said, it's all yours today. Don't worry. We'll have the, By the end of the day, no one will know and we'll have the right product. And you did. You did. And well, I think we found... I just had to cover for you to Tim Cleary without lying about where you were. But what I learned that day is you're not you're you know never going to be an alibi for anyone. Imagine you. No, in the I did. Of I somehow pulled it Could off. Could you, Damien, I, tell us? All right, yeah, I can't lie any longer. I somehow didn't there. lie to Tim, and at the same time, didn't put you in. So I think I, I covered my responsibilities on the day. I asked you to oh. to tell a version of the truth. It's a reasonably big ask. It's a and lie. You've hung on to it ever since. That, that's, that's <laughs> every time Warnable comes on, I think about it, Hutchie. Yeah, it was it was unavoidable. It was a Thursday. It was Cup Day Thursday, of course. Yeah, same day as the footy show. <laughs> and it's and for those who don't know Melbourne's or uh, Victoria's landscape, it's a good every bit of three and a half hour drive, no matter what conditions yeah, you is. get. Yeah, but the. The footy show doesn't start till eight thirty. That was nine thirty back then. I and think. by the way, I don't reckon Eddie in his day doing. He never used to arrive at eight twenty nine. He was he was doing the grill team till seven o'clock. So I don't think I was the lone ranger in getting there late for a Thursday night story. And all that matters is what the product is on the air. Yeah. And we, we I thought very lucky to have you as as the Buckley Malthouse style succession plan. But unfortunately, that took a bit longer than we would have liked. So uh, anyway, that's how that's how it went down. But uh, it's a great week. Unfortunately, I missed it. I was in New Zealand. Uh, you could have gone, but you're too conservative to go over to this day. <laughs> I even like to give you an idea of Damo's conservatism. I've asked Damo to join me at the Super Bowl, I reckon, five times. Yeah, yeah, at least five times. Yep. You think February 1 yep. is too close to the first foot show. I do. I do. Which is the 20th of March. <laughs> That's seven weeks away. Yeah, I, know. <laughs> I say to you, Damo, nothing could happen seven weeks out. Mind that you. Could affect your first show. Do you say, oh, mind oh I just you. Wouldn't, wouldn't be able to rest if something happened? I, I made the right call one of those years, though, if you do recall, the Essendon drug story. I would have been in air, in the air, and having sat on that for too long anyway, had yeah. I gone to the, one of those Super Bowls. We're not, we're not uh, saving the whales or any. It's just just journalism. <laughs> you, you, you treat it like you're being about to be called up to the United Nations to give a keynote address at any time, journalism. <laughs> seriously. It's just footy. It's a you, ball with air in it. You once upon a time <laughs> took it pretty seriously, too. Oh, it just, po- you did, Archie. I, t- I took it competitively. I don't, I don't think I ever treated it like it was. <laughs> yeah. Like the, the, you got caught up in your own importance. Yeah, you 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 treat footy journalism like you're Greta Greta Thunberg trying to save the planet. <laughs> it's unbelievable. <laughs> you know that's not true. <laughs> you do. You're like, if we don't do something about this, it's all, the whole world's going to come to an end. No, that's not quite. Got to get this hamstring injury out. Not quite true. <laughs> um, a few issues to jump around. Uh, Where start... do you want to start, Damien? Let's start with Stewie McGill. Yes. He's had an interesting couple of weeks, hasn't he? He has. It's very quite, it's quite sad what's happened. Yeah. And it just shows you how many stories that lasted a couple of weeks before it made, became public. Yeah. just shows you how many things can yeah, – there's a perception that everything gets out the day it happens, but it shows you things can take some time. I really uh, – you know, I felt for him reading it. Yeah. He seems totally innocent in, in being – Kidnapped. Um, for those who haven't caught up with it, uh, they can you can go and source your own um, news on it. But being kidnapped in a in a in a brazen attempt to get money out of him for for reasons that actually, from what I can gather, Hutchie had nothing to do with him personally, apart from a connection to. It was extraordinary week in cricket, wasn't it? You had Michael Slater off the long run. What was you he had doing? all Indian the players in India, and then you had. Stuart McGill, it was like it was a perfect storm for cricket last week. Yeah, they had everything. And the, and the McGill one too. Six days in a hotel. I was, I was trying to put myself in that position. Uh, it 
as you, as you do, it, would, it, it felt like the safest place to go, if you, if you think about it. If you weren't sure about going to the police at the time, you probably would go to a hotel, wouldn't you? That's... I don't know what I'd do. You'd... Yeah, you probably. But what I what I sort of I took out of it too, Hutchie, was that these types of stories obviously happen quite possibly daily. We just never hear about them until there's a person of profile who who eventually went public with it. Yeah, that was in the public interest, I think, in the end. Yeah, yeah. No, it's fascinating. Not 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 a nice story at all, Damon. Jeff Bezos is back in the news too, Hutchie. Our good mate uh, Brad Blank sent us a. Uh, a link to a chapter in an upcoming book. I'm hoping you've gone through it. I've read the extract, yeah. Yeah. It's called uh, Amazon Uncovered. Is that right? I didn't get the title I've ordered of it. it. I've ordered it today, by the way. So Have you? I, yeah, I've absolutely ordered it. So okay. I'm, I think Jeff Bezos is one of the most interesting people in the world to read about and to understand. And if you're a the head of Amazon, sm- small, small business like us, looking to learn and every chance you get, you can't not go past the, you know, the story of Jeff. But... It, it caught your interest, of course, because you're infinitely obsessed with the dealings on. And the inference in the book was that his dealings with the National Enquirer, where he flipped it and he made it public, yep. was strategic media genius by staying ahead of the criticism the, the curve. Yeah. and flipping the perceived coverage of him into a political move. So it was a long story short, it was he, we talked about it on the podcast at the time. He fought fire with fire, which not a lot of people do in a media sense. Not, no. a, lot of, not a lot of people get ahead of the story. The level of detail in, in the in the book excerpt is, is extraordinary, isn't it? Of the toings and go, did, goings. Did you agree and, with the observation that he outplayed the media? Yeah, I did. Yep. Upon reading that book, now it might have been slanted that way, and maybe subliminally it went through the way I read it that way. But I think he did, didn't he? And, and the National Enquirer reference was uh, probably the reason I did want to um, playfully raise it today, Hutchie, because the National Enquirer being the um, the organisation at the time that your mate Dylan Howard was still involved with. Yeah. 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 So you, that's you, abundantly clear in the story, yes. Yes. But I just wanted to say the words Dylan Howard because you you can't talk about Dylan Howard. I don't know why you find this so interesting. The the book goes into detail about the exchange between the National Enquirer and Jeff at the time. The the thing that Jeff had to deal with was the embarrassment. So I think where they didn't see him coming was they didn't think he would make it public and their dealings with him. Ultimately in in the in the act of journalism, there is a negotiation often between how something will be reported, right? If you're a journalist and there's a subject that potentially could be embarrassed, often there is a period of negotiation of how this might play out from here. Because yep. when, when you've got the information as a journalist- Which is the power. You have the power and you have the leverage. Yep. And when you're the subject, you're generally trying to mitigate the damage. And so there's a negotiation that plays out. And it's obviously, it's very commercial. Yep. There's nothing nicety about it. It's like, oh, we'll say this if you say that. And it reads poorly always. That correspondence 99 times out of 100 never makes the field the light of day. What they didn't see happening was him making it public because they would have thought he'd been too embarrassed by it. And when he did, he made public their exchanges. And so that then embarrassed them. Yep. So it's a, it's a cautionary tale for... For gotcha journalism, I guess, isn't it? It was a, a, a form of gotcha journalism, Hutchie. I'll just read uh, part of it. Um, it refers to the chief content officer, Dylan Howard, was a short and stout 36-year-old Australian and an acid-penned chronicler of the hypocrisies and indiscretions of American celebrities. It goes on into a, um, a bit more detail there. Another reference is, with an abundance of misplaced swagger, Howard also referenced the, quote, below-the-belt selfie 
that he'd captured via FaceTime from the meeting between himself and someone else. It's it's really goes behind the scenes. And then just one final um, reference to to your mate Dylan Howard. It would give no other editor. It would give no editor pleasure to send this email. Howard concluded. I hope common sense can prevail and quickly, which was the exchange that he'd had with people. Representing what, Bezos, what got expo- what did get exposed was the fact that the blow the belt selfie didn't exist. Yeah, that was what I took. I out didn't of it. know yeah, that I didn't was know the case. Till then. Yeah. yeah, so I read the story and the extract, and we'll share the extract on our uh, sounding board uh, Twitter feed for those who want to have a read of it. I didn't realise until I read that that actually the below the belt never actually existed. Yeah, it was a distorted picture. The relationship clearly did. did. Yeah, but and but still the does. picture, which was obviously g- going to be the explosive part of whatever expose was going to. Um, unfold on it wasn't actually real. It wasn't yep. him. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting how that was. Don't you think? I, I was thinking this last week when, with Bill Gates as well. Doesn't the media show no empathy at all to marriage breakups when there's someone of wealth involved? Yeah, I'd agree with that. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Like fundamentally, whether you have got a billion dollars or one dollar, yeah, there's a, there's a, a two marriage breakup is very painful. Yep, and as and. I don't know of one good breakup, Hutchie. I've seen them become better over time, but when when and we've both everyone. I think most people in life has had a friendship or, or an awareness of someone who's been through it. It's never good, is it? And then you add the media layer to it. If the person is off profile, well, we we get we media that were the media get more and more insensitive when there's wealth involved. And Bezos obviously had a new relationship. He's been a media proprietor himself. I'm not saying it all wasn't in the public eye. It was. Yep. It was fair. It was all fair game. You think so? Yep. But Bill and Melinda Gates, like, if you read the coverage of that, yeah, he's a guy who Bill and Melinda have given away billions of dollars through the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. They've been married for a long time. Twenty-seven years, I think it was. I read, and have sadly broken up. He was afforded, and Melinda was afforded. Not a second of sympathy or reflection in the coverage. It was all about how much money that she would get. Mm. Like it was all the, the jokes were rolling on, oh, you know, how wealthy and whatever. They, they've been unbelievably philanthropic. I don't know about you. I thought the media coverage everywhere was insensitive. Mm. These are two great philanthropic contributors of their wealth to the world. Yeah. And all of a sudden we're piling into the next thing you know, it's, you know, it, it, it was Bill this and that and the other and was Melinda this. And oh, I thought it was. Tacky. Frivial media coverage, to use your word, Hutchie. In fact, I use that word because you I used it last frivil, week. Not no, no, no. We might just revisit it right I now. I said frivil. Relationship, uh, before we move off this frivil conversation. Um, <laughs> frivil? Not frivial. Frivil. <laughs> so I, I, did, I, I determined at the time, and tell me if I'm wrong, because we didn't revisit it uh, in great length. I took frivial to be a combination of trivial and frivolous. Am, yeah. I, am I right? Yeah. I reckon it could take off. We talk about new words forming each year. I like I like fr- frivol. It is the perfect intersection between something that is trivial and is also frivolous. They are different things. We, we might actually officially put a request into who's the dictionary company these days, Jane Macquarie. Macquarie. They do a they do a new words of the year section each yep. year, don't they? I think frivol's got a chance. I, I'm going to officially organise for this to be nominated on your behalf. Yep, and might take some time. Like all good ideas, sometimes they take time. Yep. Hey, can I ask you this without you getting personal? Because I don't want to get involved in all your personal garbage this week. I, so just I want your commitment on that before I ask. No, because I, I think I know what you're about to head down the path of, and I can't give that commitment. I'm asking for it. <laughs> just stay professional. A few people had said to me during the week, 
Gee, a bit Richard Damo to have a go at using unattributable quotes. He's done it himself over the years. G- given I've said I've done it myself over the years. Yeah. Given I've actually said that on this show. Okay. Yeah. So, I think, so yeah, so I've done it. Yep. And then I had a, a couple of people actually send me a column where the said action yep. happened back in 2002 under your a byline, couple of people under your byline. You look like Mitch Cleary, by the way, in that picture. Well, probably because I was about 10 years younger than Miss Cleary is now when the picture was taken, Hutchie, when, when the article in question was written. So, trying to be yeah. a clone of you, you know, cheesy suits and everything. So, uh, so, so just before you go any further, we're, we're going back to an article from 2001, I and, think it is. And then- So it's 20 years old. Yeah. So that had been kicking around. I'd been sent it. It's been kicking around. Nathan Brown. And then in a, in a Twitter post that I found quite humorous, Mick Warner- said, if you're going to have a go using your if and then, I thought was clever. If you're going to have a go at other journalists using the unattributable quotes, then make sure you haven't done it yourself often. Right. That's good humour. Is it? He had a crack at you. I've oh. no doubt you would have taken offence because you take offence at everything. <laughs> I couldn't care less about it, actually. <laughs> that's quite... So how do you defend yourself against that? <laughs> What's there to defend? I've put my hand up several times. I've done what I'm now raising on this show many times. You've done it often, and now you're the, you sit in judgment. Well, hang on. I haven't, done it, I haven't done it often, clearly, because Mick Warner has somehow gone back through 19 years of articles and, and finally found one. He wouldn't have gone back through it himself. No, he would, of course no. he wouldn't have. He would have got someone on his behalf to do it, and they would have said- uh, Wouldn't have been hard. They got the files. Actually, Hutchie, I think it was hard. They found one in 2002. I, yeah, I reckon, I reckon that would have started in 2021, 2020, and then they would have checked back in on that night and said, um, listen, we've gone back to 2017. I, I know you said he's done it somewhere. Can you? We just can't find anything yet. He I, was like, dig deeper. I know there's something. Go back to the school annual report from 2000. No, I, thought it was, I thought it was good. I, did I, you? Yeah, I thought you got your comeuppance. And the, um, what, it's, sorry, it's 7.40. What is it? Seven, here it is, the screenshot. 7.46 on a Sunday on, on Mother's Day, he thinks that that's bit that's, of humour. Yeah, it's a bit of humour. Bit of humour. They've got the they've got the files there still of all the history, right? So they could embarrass all of us if they went through the files. I'm sure. Do they still have the Herald Sun shop? Remember the Herald Sun shop? I reckon they would. Wouldn't you they? used to be able to go Can across you... the road. Did you ever go in? But own up now. No, no. You did you ever go in into the Herald Sun shop and try and buy a story you wrote historically? No, no, I didn't. But I, but I. I reckon I did a lot, quite a lot. Because <laughs> <laughs> they could find anything. You'd go and say, oh, I wrote this yarn back in 95 and I can't find it. I wouldn't mind it from a scrapbook or whatever you had at the time. So you know what the Herald Sun It would Sun still shop- exist, though, wouldn't it? You, you can access – well, again, you can find articles from the time. I don't – I think their problem is getting people to buy today's papers. It's a little yeah, actually, let alone yesterday's. So I, think it's, I think it's gone to God in the digital era. But there was a great – I used to love the Herald Sun shop. And there were nice people in the Herald Sun shop, don't hmm. you think? What about like the ABC shop? That's, that still exists, doesn't it? The ABC shop? You used to be able to go and buy the Coulda Beans tapes in there. And... <laughs> the Coulda Beans tapes? Yeah. What, on the old well, uh, they cassette? Have a, they didn't have a whole lot in there, did they? They had maybe some episodes of the goodies and a few other things. Well, they're just, again, Hutchie, I knew it was going to be a show where you just bounced around a thousand ideas. Um, some of them How did you m- feel about Winx today? Can I ask you that question? Well, yeah, let's maybe go there. Yep. So Winx being Nick McKenzie, the, the greatest journalist in the history of journalism in the world, this in, is my, a, in my eyes. News Limited. So there's a third player. We've had seven and nine at war on this. So set this up for us, Hachi, please. So Nick McKenzie, famous journalist of all time internationally in my eyes, works for The Age traditionally, has branched out into 60 Minutes because of the arrangement between Fairfax and Nine yep. and has become all powerful, the even more so than ever. Yep. Uh, obviously... There's another major organisation in town, that being the, the News Limited organisation, yeah, wow. which doesn't yet have an official arrangement with Channel 7, Hutchie. Am I right in saying that? But 
is heading toward one? Well, there's been rumours about it. I, I yeah. accept the denials, but you yeah. know, clearly they've got things in common. But they're, they're ultimately, though, News Limited now is, is, is a competitor, obviously of Fairfax and always yeah. has been, but, but now in this arrangement, more so with Channel 9. It, this was a great piece of journalism in the Herald Sun and Daily Telegraph today, so we should give it its due on its own two feet. Yep. If we were being cynical, we'd suggest that there was a third uh, combatant entering the arena, but we're not going to be that way today, Damo. Right. We're not. It, gonna... it, by saying we're not means we're not, or we're just we're presenting not. it this we're, way? We're, we're looking at this as, as the independent good journalism that it was. Okay. But I'd love to know how this landed on page two today. <laughs> okay. Wouldn't you love to know the background? A former confidant of Victoria Cross recipient Ben Robert Smith has turned on him and is expected to give evidence against the Afghan war veteran in a highly anticipated defamation. Documents filed with the Fed court show that security guard and former freelance 60 Minutes fixer John McLeod will be asked about posting an alleged intimidatory letter. The Herald Sun also understands that Mr McLeod is one of a group of people present at 2018 when Mr Robert Smith was secretly recorded at the meeting, right? Which there's audio that was used on 60 Minutes. So, yep. so it's alleged that 60 Minutes fixer John McLeod will be asked about posting the letter and also alleged that he was there at the time it was present. It's suggested that he, uh, Mr McLeod, has turned on Ben Robert Smith in this story and that will go before the courts. And when questions were directed to Nine about how these recordings were made and by whom, Mr. McKenzie responded with a furious series of phone calls and public statements on Twitter. It goes on to say that Mr. McKenzie's being sued, obviously. Mr. Roberts denies any non-doing. Nine's lawyers told the court in filings that Mr. McLeod is unwilling to incriminate himself except with the benefit of a certificate pursuant to S-128. So the the basic gist of the story- Cut through all that. What's happened here? Well, the- I I know you've got a view. The inference on this- and the allegation is that the person that has turned on Ben Robert Smith is John McLeod, that he had a relationship with 60 Minutes as a former freelancer. They allege that he was present at the time of the recording and that they do acknowledge it is legal to record people in Queensland, by the way, which I didn't know. No, did I didn't you know, know that either. That? Well, it's not in Victoria, <laughs> as far as I know. It's the end of my, without, uh, without permission. It's the end of my meetings with a lunch of journalists in Queensland. <laughs> That's over. That, that's note to self. No, no off the record lunches in Queensland. Anyone listening out there? In uh, that's, a, that's a bad day for the Courier Mail. I suggest this story. You can secretly take people in Queensland without their knowing and use it against them. Uh, Courier Mail. Long morning meeting this morning, trying to work out how to deal with the consequences of that. Anyway, that's another story for another day. So. It ends. There's no evidence that Mr. McLeod knew of the contents of the letter before posting it. What it doesn't say. This is what I want you to tell me again and our audience. Yeah. What it doesn't say is that John McLeod is the source of Nick McKenzie. So News Limited outing, in your eyes, our eyes, no, Nick McKenzie's source on story? What it doesn't say is that John McLeod is the source of Nick McKenzie. What it does say is that Nick McKenzie reacted uh, ag- aggressively and defensively when News Limited photographed John McLeod and sought to cover his potential involvement or otherwise. You can make your own inferences from that. This is one that the lawyers will play out. It does not say John McLeod is the source. It does suggest, though, clearly that he has turned on Ben Robert Smith and had a relationship with 60 Minutes. Right. And it does suggest that... Okay. It, so does, it, does, call, it does question, however, I think it's fair to say it does question Nick McKenzie's reporting because it says that he... What the defence he had of John McLeod was inconsistent with the rights he gave 
Ben Robert Smith. It did feel like a combination of great journalism and the third media player getting involved in this story. It's a bit too absorbed there, Hutchie, because the general Not really. person- No, there is. The general person wouldn't have read half of what you've just outlined. Was well, that how you read it? Not not the complete part of it. I, I Look, I felt what they were doing was exposing the source, but I, I, but I hadn't thought they were actually trying to, at the same time, almost discredit the story because the way it was set up, it, it pumps up the story, doesn't it? It's almost like um, a scenario and, and, and painting the picture that this story that's been broken on other platforms has been broken because of this person. Yeah, I, I took it that... I took it as a I took it as a, a shot across the bow at Nick McKenzie yeah. a little bit. Yeah. So and, what what happens next then? And nothing and there's nothing a journalist likes more. The a journalist will defend their source ahead of themselves. Yeah. And when you're elite But I, I can't imagine this type of scenario hasn't happened to Nick McKenzie before. maybe not as publicly on, on page two as it was in the Herald Sun this morning. I don't know where it's run in other news limited papers throughout the uh, the country, but I can't imagine Nick McKenzie losing a minute's sleep on this, though, when it's all said and done, given what he's been dealing with with this story. This is this would be a very small part of his dealings overall when it comes to the Ben Robert Smith situation, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? And, and, and it doesn't, from what I can gather, Hutchie, unless you're reading something else into this that I'm not, it doesn't change the way this plays out in court, does it? No, but it does serve it, – it does – let's be honest, both, both parties are going to leak strategically – throughout this period, uh, we've been very careful today to offer no opinion on anything other than to report what we know. I think it's fair to say that that story in the paper doesn't uh, help uh, Nine's interests. Take me, through that, be, uh, take me through that part of it. But what, what, why does it not help? Because to, the way I read it, it's all going to play out in court anyway, and it's up for a greater and higher body to determine how it plays out. Yeah, I, I think it, it, it delved into the method of reporting, though, didn't it? But we knew there was a secret tape recording. I mean, that was played. Yeah. The secret tape recording was played. Yeah. We didn't know the identity I, of the recorder I, or the contents or, or the people I, I attending the meeting. I don't think I don't think news have an agenda here by any means. I'm not saying that they do. What I'm saying is it's a good story. It well, expo- well, they've always got an agenda, Hutchie. It exposes a witness. The fact that there is a fixer that uh, is involved and is a former freelance 60 Minutes fixer and a security guard was of interest. Yep. It talks about how he was papped and the, and the method around it. And okay, so let, let's if I'm, move. Cha- if I'm Channel Seven, I read that. I think well, it doesn't do me any harm to read that today. Uh, so yeah, you, you make your own assessment on it. But it's going to be it's going to be one of those and again. Take me through that bit. Why why is it do Channel Seven no harm this story? Well, I think their whole. I mean, I, I'm getting way out of my depth here. I'm not going to get into that. I, I think no, but I don't know what you mean by that. No, I'm, I'm genuinely. Genuinely curious as to what you're saying there. Well, they don't really want Nick McKenzie continually taking them on. So if they can, as a competitor, if they can right, rightly or wrongly expose a source of his along the way, it does help that enable that cause, right? A source. He's got thousands of sources. I know, but this is a fairly big one. Like, this, this is a big one. This guy, this guy is turned on, on Ben Robert Smith, and is going to give evidence. Which would have come out in court anyway. But nine. Which well, would have come out in court. And anyway. it's all in the filings, right? So, yeah. yeah. I, I, they've, I, had, I they've, had, they've had access to the filings. Yeah, and and as always, it's the the lawyers who've got access to such documents yeah. who the consequences play as many games as anyone, Hutchie, when it comes to what they do. The consequences of this story are going to be widely felt on either end of the outcome, aren't they? 
Okay, last one, and, and maybe you, you don't even you can't answer this right now. But do you see it changing the course of the court case? I, I have no idea. I have no understanding of the legal industry at all. Yeah. It was just fascinating to see a story that had been they've been pretty late to the party on news, haven't they? Because there's been a, a a nine crusade really against Ben Robert Smith, and it looked like they were getting a bit more interested in it as a story. Yep. We talk about journalism, Hachi. Uh, the Herald Sun, or it was new, might have been news.com. In fact, I think it was the heraldsun.com. But are you uh, heartbroken? Newman steps out after shock tragedy. Basically, man leaves home to go out. Um, what do we make of these that? stories? Yeah, I am. Yeah. Why? Well, for those who haven't caught up with it, Sam Newman's wife died last week. And either the day after or two days after, Sam Newman left the house. Here it is. A grieving Sam Newman has been seen for the first time since the sudden loss of his wife, Amanda Brown, at the weekend. The TV legend stepped out carrying some flowers and photo frames and also visiting some shops. Yep. Seriously. Man goes about a day. Did you click on and read the story? No. Yeah. I, I, I sent the yeah. link to Jane, our Did producer. You read it? No. I'm reading it now for the first time. And that's just the first paragraph, yeah. which is on the screenshot. I, I think most people clicked on and read it. Did you? Yeah. I Why? Think because it, that's. Very few people would sit in judgment of that as quickly as you as you would, and most people would, yeah, are feeling for him and would read it. Spotted in public, man, man, man leaves house is yep. is, is another way of. So if those and I want to, it's hard because we're so emotionally attached to Sam. But if you if you were presented that those pictures by a photographer of yours, you wouldn't have run them. Well, for starters, they've papped him. So so so, and again. I also noticed yep. too on this screenshot, it's the old fame, the famous staff writers have written it. So someone's been assigned the task of yep. tailing him, but we'll just put staff writers on it because that doesn't implicate the unfortunate journalist who's been asked to do it by someone. Yep. The journalist who was doing that wouldn't have wanted to be doing it. Of course, that. well, yep. I would be staggered if they did. Yep. And and secondly, you don't just you don't just happen to have a freelance photographer or a photographer just happen to see Sam Newman yep. leaving house. You're, you're out the front of his house. I, I would suggest as a starting point what, to that task. What if you, what if you didn't go and the competitor did go and got an interview with him? I, I could very comfortably live with that on that story, Hutchie. Yep. Yeah, very very comfortably live with yep. it. And and the fact that he had said that he was going to speak on his podcast does does that mean that once you now know that he's going to talk, there is a chance that he might talk twenty four hours earlier about the horrible. Situation now, he'd been through. I think he had had flagged that. Just remind me of the timeline. I think he had flagged that in one of the articles I think initially. It was, it was it was written. Yes. Yeah, so expected, so if you knew he was going to to be on the podcast, yeah, I think that might have been the better day to tail him if that's what indeed you wanted to do. But the day you know, anyway, I I understand you. I feel for him like you wouldn't believe. I'm I'm with you. We we love him, and it's, it's horrible that he would be put through that. It'd be easier if it wasn't him, given. We know this yeah, man the, well, but yeah. but if it was just someone else who'd also experienced grief, that that the, the, the I, need for not, certain sections of the media to to, to tell its audience that man leaves house to go out and do something. I remember being in. I think I've told this story before. I remember being in police rounds uh, soon after my late mother passed away, and was back at work too soon and uh, too vulnerable. Um, and was trying to kind of escape to, in my work rather than deal with my grief, and was in a bit of a bad way at the time. And then, and I, I equally, it wasn't Harold Sun's fault; it was mine. I said, "I want to, you know, I'm ready." And yeah, put me back where I was in police rounds. I can handle it. It was all me. It was none of them. 
But I remember on the first or second day doing what um, you have to do, which is go out and knock on, and do what they used to call door knocking, which was so, of someone who's died. So is, is it in, is it called intrusion? Then is is that the word of my? If I mix that word up with. There, there wasn't. I don't know if it still still happens. This it way. was regular, wasn't it? You'd but have to it, knock on the door. You would knock on the door, yeah, and you would say, "I'm so sorry for your loss." So you did one of those. So I, I remember doing one soon after my mum and the, the oh, late. I don't think you've ever told me this. The lady in question had lost, I think, a son for an electrocution, and I was asked yeah. to, to go out and 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 um, get some get a couple of words. And she, I remember at the door, she said, "You know, irate, and how could you knock on my door?" And, you know what it's like to lose someone, and I'm mm. like, I, you know, I just lost my mum, and well, I was in tears, and she was in tears, and it was like one of those moments in life when you, and then I, I think I, from memory, I took a few days off after that, or a week after that, and realised I was not up for it. But it, my my point is, it's not right; it shouldn't happen, mm. but it does go on, doesn't it? It was processed back then. I, th- I think it was called an intrusion, Hutchie. And, and look, if it's not the right word, I apologise. Um, but it was part of it, wasn't it? And obviously the media wasn't the way it was then in a, in a social media sense. Obviously that wasn't in, in existence. And it was the done thing. I, I never had to do one, fortunately. I was only on police rounds for a matter of months. And, and I, I think I went out of my way to avoid such yeah, and situations. I, I, I don't and, think it happens as much or at all. No, I don't think it happens anymore yeah. at all. I, but, but it, and it, no, no, it should. But it used to happen. And, it was and, an accepted part of the industry well, wasn't it? and 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 the society and public and and some of the some of the subjects uh, in their grief wanted to talk for, yeah for and two that, reasons one to, to to have someone to talk to as yeah. silly as that sounds and two to warn others of what might otherwise happen mm. like if there was an incident that you could stop a hundred other people doing yes. it and the whole argument was who are we to judge whether the person wants to or does or doesn't want to talk. You've got to give the them term. the option. But it, it does look bad and it does feel very bad. So I'm not defending the the papping of Sam, but yeah. I, you can understand the circumstances of it. You know? Yeah. Um, he might have wanted for argument's sake to thank all of the support he got in a public way and the Herald Sun was a way to do it. You don't know unless you ask him the unfortunate question. Uh, it doesn't look like he told him to nick off. If they, if he had told him to nick off, maybe they don't run the pitches. I don't know. I'm de- probably defending them unnecessarily, but there's often more to it than meets the eye. Yep. Leaving that aside and just using that theme for a moment, what was the most uncomfortable uh, phone call you've ever had to make as a journalist? The tsunami in um, in 2003 or four, and Troy Broadbridge, the Melbourne footballer at the yep. time. There was a call I had to make on on that, and I, and I'm not going to reveal who it was had to be made to, but someone who was very close to that situation, um, I, I had been speaking to regularly before his body was found, um, I owed it to that person to, to tell them that, that the authorities had found the body. And that was a, a very awkward conversation. But but one that the person who received it had asked me to make if, if indeed I found out the information prior to that person. Yeah, we're not equipped with those no, things. No, we're not. No. We? no, that was, that was a terrible time, if you recall that issue, the, the, the tsunami time, and, and obviously that was the AFL connection, that yep. was the only reason I was involved in that story on it, but yeah, that was that, that's one that springs to mind. Have, have you got one uh, yourself I, when you ask that question? I, I remember that uh, in, in one journalistic, that we had had a report at our office, I don't want to go into the person or the company, because it didn't, wasn't true, that a colleague had, had died, and um, we, we couldn't reach the colleague for many hours and there was a suggestion that they'd passed and it was left to me for whatever reason to go over and knock on the front door and to see if that were indeed true. Um, so that was probably the worst. Yeah. Unfortunately, it wasn't true, but that trip over was pretty awful. 
Yeah. So, yeah, it, we're, we're fundamentally not much good at... We're not trained at it, are we? Right. And, and thankfully, it's not practice now for that to be the task of a journalist at any age, is it? As far as I know. Like, no, no journalist right now would be asked to do that. Th- yep. That role, anyway. And I was also asked to, um, I was also told that someone, a football, was going to reveal something incredibly personal about them and they were ready to talk about it. And so I had to ring them and ask them that to be true. And that was, it ended up being not true. And that was as bad a cause you can make because then they think you're trying to lead an agenda yep. against them. And yeah. Yep. Thank goodness I got out of that profession, Damo. Yeah. It's awful. What, 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 I don't what, know let, how you're still going. Let's lighten it up a bit, Hutchie. This is another I media issue. Trying, I know you're trying to get out of it, though. You've, all of a sudden, you've pivoted into morning podcasts as a means of like trying to ease your way out of the hard stuff. No. no that hasn't been lost on me. Ease my way out yeah, of the hard stuff. AFL daily routine. <laughs> oh, well, let, let's go down that path then. Trying to build a body of work up at six o'clock in the morning to justify <laughs> lack of news coming out of your uh, typewriter. <laughs> I broken trying more to create a diversion. I would have broken more news than anyone else this year, Hutchie, if you oh. want to go to that path. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a, long, I'm a long time out of it, thankfully. But it's going well, thank you. The numbers are, are flying through the roof. Flying, are they? Yeah, they're flying through the roof on that. Yeah, I had a look at top, tomorrow's top 100. I didn't didn't know you there. No, we haven't yet wrought the system. <laughs> I've actually told them about that. I, I told them to actually speak to you and your people about how you wrought the podcast ranking system on it to make sure they're, they're getting the same Not true. juice. This is one I've been trying to get to for a while, Hutchie. We've got a bit deep at times. Uh, Corey Irving and the Nets in the NBA ah, yes. have been fined $35,000 US, of course, each for, quote, repeated refusal to participate in post-game media availability. 35,000. I'm thinking the AFL should start introducing something along these lines. Maybe not that level of money, yep. but just something. I to, liked it. To compel. They, Dustin Martin, for instance, who doesn't do any interviews unless there's a string attached. Yeah, but he's been able to create this sense yeah, of uh, elusiveness, rockstar yeah, elusiveness. Yeah, this intrigue, this business and this brand uh, based on no media. Look, as you know, my views on this, people think journalists are self-interested in it. The less available a subject is, the better unfair advantage it is for, for a competitive journalist to extract value from them. So there's no, it doesn't actually help journalism, but it does help the club and the public, which are the two main stakeholders of this. So I'm a big believer that it sh- everyone should be able to be made public and that they should be fined. But at least the NBA and the NFL does yep. similarly. At least they stand for it. We, we don't have any protocols in place. Clubs are told they should make their players available. Yep. They, they make them available if you're prepared, the good ones, yep. if you're prepared to jump through those three hoops which are on fire and then scale the brick wall yep. and then go underground in that mud pit and then you might be a chance to get a yeah, an all-in. But it's an AFL issue and an AFL media issue where you work. They should make AFL media should be allowed a voice in this, led by you, the chief Football. So ultimately, it's your fault if I want to ship it back. <laughs> yeah. You're the chief foot, or football reporter at AFL Media. Mm. The AFL Media Department should demand that all players be available every day. I think you'll find that that is the, quote, policy. Not not every day, but certain times it's they a, should be available. It's a complete wet lettuce. It's another area where the AFL are not tough enough on the clubs. They're not at all. They're, 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 but they're, they're not tough enough on the clubs. They're not. Make the clubs make the players available every time Every day at training, always. The, it's such a basic 
civil service to the game. I laugh when I see the players try and build it into collective bargaining agreements and value <laughs> yeah. and all this sort of stuff <laughs> in the broadcast deal. Give me a spell. Just do what's right for growing the game. The more references to media access in these new deals that get added on every single yep. time the rights are up, what it actually results in is less media access, the way you actually want it. I've been saying this for a long time. It's not that hard. So making them available. Speaking of Mitch and my Warnable story, that reminded me of Kyrie Irving. Can I ever tell you my Kyrie Irving story? Don't think so. I'm just trying to rack the brain as you Corey, ask that. You know where Corey Irving was born, don't you? No, I don't. Melbourne. Corey Irving was born in born Melbourne. Born in Melbourne. He is one, I think, of... It might even be four number one draft picks who were born in Melbourne. I've, ne- I, I've never ma- heard this story. Amazing. So all the, You're the- not mixing him up with Simmons, are you? No. Simmons... He was born in Melbourne, yeah. wasn't he? Kyrie Irving was born in Melbourne. I did. I do not know this story. About seven, eight, maybe ten years ago, I read a local pamphlet or something that said Kyrie Irving was coming back to Melbourne, his place of birth, to do a kid's camp or clinic. And I thought, wow, this guy's a young star in the NBA. How good would that be? I reached out to the people running the camp and I said, I have a TV show called Future Stars, which I host on Nine and we produce. (laughs) Could we get a couple of the boom kids in? With him to promote your camp, I pitched as a you know, and it was as a camp, um, you know, PR stunt, and they said we mucked around, and they said yeah, he'll be available Sunday morning to do it, but he's got to be in early, he's got to go to the do the camp, but he'll come into Channel Nine and do it. So it was it was due to be nine a.m. pre-record. Now you'll know in those days at Channel Nine, I was eating up a lot of the available time around the Sunday Footy Show to produce Footy <laughs> yes, SA, so Footy WA, and Future Stars. Yeah. I was often. I was often hosting three shows after the uh, and, Sunday Footy Show and the Sunday Footy Show, yeah. and not knowing who won the games until the graphics came up <laughs> at the start of the show because there was too wasn't enough time. And also making the camera people and floor assistants work four shifts in one, getting a little bit earlier for overtime, and they were great. So anyway, no, they weren't. So <laughs> and they, they, didn't, they didn't receive it well. That's what I'm trying to say. I arranged. Uh, might have been nine. Might have been eight thirty. Kyrie to come in. A couple of boom under eighteen kids. And he'd be on the set. And he reached peak power by this stage? He was, he was very much, yeah, I think he might have been LeBron's number two by the, that time. or play, He was playing at Cleveland anyway. Anyway, in those days, I was trying to divide my time with the States in Australia, as you know, and yeah. often only had four days between the Monday night classified and the Sunday to get to New York, conduct some business, and get home. Actually, you once checked in on a flight, then came back to the studio to host a show. I, I saw you do that one day. You actually had checked in, which I think is illegal, by the way, but that's what you did. So I've flown out of the States Friday night to land Sunday morning. In my head, the plane <laughs> arrives at 7. I'm a carry-on man only. I'll get out of customs at 7.30, 7.45. I get to the studio by quarter past 8, 20 past 8. Quick change, <laughs> and I'll have Kyrie Irving on set with me at 8.30, 20 to 9. Oh, we've, all, we've all waited for you to get off a plane, so I know go. where this story's going now. There's fog. <laughs> plane circles. Of course, of course there is. Doesn't land or running late or something, fuel, I, don't, I can't remember. And, and, it was fog. Even if everything went smoothly, yep. you've given yourself every bit of 45 seconds to, to, to get where you got to get to anyway. <laughs> well, and I'm hosting, to spare, I'm talking about. I'm hosting the Sunday footy show at 11. <laughs> so I've already, after that, they're going to have to deal with the five games I've been watched yesterday because they've been in the air. Anyway, I land and I can't get off the tarmac and I've got a $100 million athlete waiting for me in reception at Channel 9. I'm thinking, this is, this is a little tricky. And I've had to, I've had to orchestrate the, the plough to Terry Wallace 
Under the guise of who, his, who would have loved it, by the under way, under the guise of his ex-basketball yeah. <laughs> career, to conduct the interview with Kyrie Irving, who sat in reception for twenty minutes waiting for a host. He was wasn't there to do the interview. It's a guy who in the stage would have ten minders <laughs> <laughs> opening doors for him. Yeah. So, but uh, Kyrie Irving, I saw, and my stepson Nicholas loves Kyrie Irving. He's got all the shoes, and I told him that story about how I missed the interview, and he's so disgusted in me that I wasn't there to meet him and to do the interview. He's like. Can't believe. So Plough conducted the interview with Kyrie Irving. Plough did it. Yeah, did he would pull that off beautifully. We did a whole segment on Kyrie Irving, and uh, I think on the show I said something like this: "Demo, we'll go to the break. Plough, you're a great man in basketball. I'm going to leave Kyrie Irving to you. I'll sit back and watch, and I'll join you." <laughs> <laughs> and it sailed through without anyone noticing. But that was my other embarrassing moment, Demo. Is I got stuck on a plane and missed the Kyrie Irving interview. All right, Hutchie, let's head now to the find uh, actually. weekly yeah. offering on the sounding board. On the sounding board, it's our question of the week for Drinkwise. If you're choosing to drink, choose to Drinkwise. Sean Issel on Facebook poses this to me, Hutchie, more so than your good self. How do you report a story when a sports star is involved in a serious criminal case? Is there a different balance between sensationalism and facts than in a purely football-related story about the same person. Yeah, look, there is, Sean, and there's there's various degrees of complexity to, to the question you've asked there. And I I just work backwards from letting the, the system, in inverted commas, to take – care is not the right word but, – but, but to deal with the situation in front of that sports person. So I don't want to mention any specific names here. We've got an AFL player at the moment um, who's facing serious charges. As we speak, a, a jury has just been discharged, Hutchie, on um, an NRL player's case in the courts. We've seen what's happened to, to Jared Hayne. Um, to get back to your question, Sean, as best I can, um, the way I deal with it, um, every other journalist would would be would have a form of difference, I would imagine. But when the courts get involved, when the police get involved, I just leave that side of it to, to those mechanisms for what it's worth. Um, it does, though, sit at the back of your mind as to how you then um, filter some of that into whatever it is you're saying about that person when it comes to the sport side of that person's um, character and, and performance. But... Ultimately, it's not a cop-out, but I just would rather the, the system deal with the serious nature of the issues at hand. Um, do you think anyone deals with it much differently to that, Hutchie? I, I think once before the courts, you have to just then defer to the, the courts. To the courts, yeah, the whole time, and accept the way that it's... You can't outcome. preempt an outcome, and you can't, I don't think, even assume that it's you know causing um, you know, the person to act or, or not act differently. I'll just have an update on that story that I told, by the way. 1st of July, 2013. I found it on YouTube. We will share it from our link on the sounding board. It's Kyrie Irving on TAC Cup Feature Stars. It was two segments, I reckon, from memory. And this is the second of two segments, I think. Nathan Brown is the one conducting the interview. He wasn't He wasn't the host at the time. Now, knowing Brown, he, he, it wouldn't have been a, a guarantee that he would know who Kyrie Irving was. No, I, I take that back. He would know, but he wouldn't know much more about him than his name. So in my head, I thought it was Terry Wallace. Terry is on the set, though, and I reckon <laughs> Terry did the stunt before the break with the shooting hoops with the kids. Oh, you didn't make Terry do shoot hoops with Kyrie Irving. I reckon he hosted the segment before the break. I might be wrong, but what we can confirm is that Nathan Brown... <laughs> That was his first. He, he ran at that seat then, like Sam Kekovich did that time. Max Walker was on oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> So that was Nathan Nash's first little hosting gig. He's hosted uh, the Kyrie Irving interview when I'm, I'm stuck in the air. He thought he was getting the, the footy show gig, actually, yep. before Tony Jones got it. 
this hey, is something. A hey, quick shout out to Kay. I read the story about them getting to a million subscriptions. That's a mighty effort, don't you think? A million they've reached, have they? That, yeah. that, that, that is a serious number in this country, I would have thought. A population, what are we up to now? Is it 30, Jane? Yeah. Thereabouts? I, I reckon it's a mighty effort to get yeah. to a million paid subscribers of K. I know they've been very clever in how they've bundled things early days with advertisers. And, if you've got and a million more recently, people on your books on anything, actually, no matter what it's costing, it's, yep. it's a regular stream. And then more, more uh, recently, they've been able to use and leverage themselves in the AFL and NRL deals in the distribution through AFL.com in particular, but... It's a big effort, that, don't yeah, I? It is. It is. All right, Hutchie. That was a, a weirdish sort of offering of the sounding board this week, wasn't it? <laughs> you didn't like it? No, I just, <laughs> I don't know what we, if we actually said anything that's of any interest to any of our listeners. I'm not sure when, where we when, took. When should we start caring about that? <laughs> I prepare to care, Hutchie, but sometimes the show starts and we just don't offer a lot of depth sometimes. And I, ho- I hope that I've misread what I think we've just offered here, Hutchie, today, but anyway. So yeah, I, I would have thought it was just run of the mill, and uh, we're, we're okay with that. <laughs> anyway, uh, as you said, you don't care. So. If, you, if you're choosing to have a mediocre one, <laughs> be sure to drink wise. Or a run of the mill one. Yeah, run of the mill. Yeah. Or just yeah. mail that one in. Yeah, I, I thought uh, I thought it had a little bit there. A little bit? All right. Yeah. No, I'll, I'll, I might listen back to it on the way home. <laughs> that was the sounding board for drink wise. You won't miss a moment if you drink wise. Thanks for listening to the Sounding Board podcast with Hutchie and Damo. Tune in for questions tomorrow and to send a question to the boys, email thesoundingboard at sen.com.au, follow the show on Twitter at Sounding Board EP and like the Facebook page. It's all thanks to Drinkwise. If you're choosing to have a drink, choose to Drinkwise.